Well, let's pray, and we're going to get right into the message today. We're going to be in Matthew 7. We're going to be finishing up our uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount today. And uh, so let's pray. God, we love you. Jesus, once again, we just say thank you for your words. That we have the word of God, that we have the words of eternal life. Lord, I pray today that we would um, just receive from you in a new way. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to respond to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Challenge us. Convict us. Revive us. Fill us. And Lord, may we leave here today and uh, Lord, just saying that we met with you in some way. God, we love you today. We worship you and you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. It's got a little ring to it. You guys hear that? Sounds like a little ring, ring, test, one, two, ring, check. Well, we're going to be finishing up today. Is Jeff around? Is that, uh, he went to the bathroom. (laughs) Jeff, um, this is the handheld. See if we can just bring that down a little bit. It's the handheld. I'm not sure if that's going to do it. Maybe... Check one, two. Is that better? Okay. I think that helped. All right. So my title is kind of interesting, Wolves, Fruit, and Authentic Christianity. Couldn't think of anything else to say, but that's what Jesus deals with in this last part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we are going to look at this last portion of, of, of his sermon and uh, just see what he is saying to us. We'll be looking at his closing, closing thoughts. Jesus is the greatest preacher, greatest teacher of all time. And what he does in this passage, I believe that he kind of brings it all down um, and, and he finishes these thoughts kind of, you know, like any good speaker. It's kind of he's leaving his listeners with something and saying, I'm going to tie all my thoughts together. I'm going to give you these last few things to think about here to solidify what I've been telling you. And again, you will recognize a lot of these, uh, th- these thoughts, these passages, you will, you will be very familiar um, with them. But I, again, I, I pray that we hear it with new ears. And what was, again, what was Jesus doing here? Um, the, the, the entire sermon is incredibly challenging. It reveals our great need for him. He was ushering in a new kingdom, a new mindset. He began to preach the kingdom of God. That was when he showed up. He, one of the first words out of his mouth was repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he was ushering in this new kingdom. He was opposing religion and ultimately pointing us to intimacy. And he was making Jehovah God intimate and, and, and giving us intimacy through relationship with him. And this is what he is bringing in. And again, opposing that religious mindset, that pharisaical mindset of moving us from outward manifestation or outward conformity to inward transformation, that the the real true test of a believer is what's going on in the inside. Because he deals with the religious over and over. And all throughout the sermon is a lot of challenges are that we conform outwardly and we look the part. But in what's going on inside and he cuts to the chase and he gets to the heart of the matter and he gets to what he's really driving at. And you see throughout the Gospels that when Jesus would encounter people, he was regularly getting to the heart of what was going on and where they were at. 
And so he's driving us to this authentic, intimate relationship with himself. I believe that you can look at these ending thoughts, and we will, and we're going to see him tying these themes into his closing. And he ends the sermon with some very sobering words, and he leaves his listeners and us with thoughts of being authentic followers of, of him. Now, once again, this sermon, this Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, uh, this, these are more than refrigerator magnets. This is something that he is driving into our hearts. This is the first, things, this is the first sermon that he preaches. Um, ultimately, he drew away with his disciples, and he was giving them this message. And by the time it's over with, there's a crowd that's gathered around, and you will see that at the end here. But we're going to read the text today, and we'll get right into this. Verses 15 through 29. Jesus says, and he just gets through talking about the narrow and the wide gate, and we talked a little bit about that last week with the baptisms, but he says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So there's a, kind of a lot to work through there, so we're just going to kind of work our way through this, but verse 15, he gets through, he's just finished the thought of the, in the narrow gate, enter the narrow gate, and then he talks about watching out for false prophets. He said, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, Jesus is speaking to us about discernment and not suspicion, and there's a difference, and we're going to look at that difference in a moment. We need discernment. That's one of the spiritual gifts that we have available to us because these wolves at first glance look like sheep. Jesus says this. They will, be, they will look like sheep. They will even bleat like sheep. But he said, watch out. Because they have, although they have the appearance of being like a sheep, they are really wolves. And so you need to watch out for them. We all know that sheep, we are called sheep as Christ followers. We are his sheep, Psalm 23. They look like the real deal, these, these people that, they, that he's talking about. He said they look like the real deal. They look like sheep. They look like my followers. And so you need to understand that sometimes we can just kind of clump the world into like being wolves. They're not really, Jesus is not dealing with them. He's talking about people that look like Christ followers, 
And it's a sobering word here that they look like sheep. They look like Christ's followers, yet they are really wolves. And that can either be that they are malicious and they're just trying to wiggle their way in and, 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 and they have an ulterior motive behind what they're doing. Some people, it's just deception. We are warned over and over in scriptures about deception. The sin of deception is a very dangerous thing. You know why? Because you don't know you're deceived. That's why we must stay close to Jesus. We must ask daily to be filled with his spirit because one of the things that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that he will convict us when we get out of line. I don't know about you, but when I veer off, I want Jesus to correct me quickly. I want the Holy Spirit to nudge me. I don't want to be veering way off out there somewhere, and before you know it, I'm, I'm walking in deception, and I don't know where I'm at. And so over and over, we are warned about deception. They can, Because he says these, these, these will come among you, and they will have sheep's clothing. They can have the appearance of authenticity, but they aren't authentic. Again, I think that you can see what he's driving at is they, they have perfected the outward. Wolf in sheep's clothing. It's the outward. He has been dealing with the Pharisees over and over. He has hard words to the religious. You have perfected the outward, yet your hearts are far from me. But here's some warnings in Scripture, and I'm just going to uh, you know, kind of touch in on this where, where it's a common theme that you can see. But in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11.26, Paul talks about false brothers among you. 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about false apostles that will be on, among you. 2 Peter, Peter writes this letter. Uh, um, in chapter 2, he talks about false teachers will be among you. 1 Timothy 4, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's telling him about you know, uh, uh, the letters to Timothy are about how to pastor, how to lead a church. And he talks about watch out for false speakers. Jesus even talks about that there will be false witnesses in the latter days and false Christs in Matthew 24. The Apostle John tells us in this, this is from 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Another place Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, test all things. Well, what is that getting at? It's, it's not walking in suspicion. It's walking in discernment. It's walking very close with the Lord because the opposite of discernment and testing is where we just walk in suspicion all the time. And we're constantly you know, questioning people's motives. And, and we're, we, we look from a, with a suspicious eye. And, and Jesus is saying, don't do that. There's always that extreme on the other end. But he says we need to walk and we need to test things. We need to watch out and be sober. But we do that by staying close to him. Paul's last words to the Ephesians when he met them uh, for a farewell near the, the, he was at the beach near Miletus and, and he included a warning about false teachers. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. And this is the same kind of language that Jesus is giving. He said, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves... You hear that? Where Jesus said, it's not from outside. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. 
And so there's this sober thing that Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, and Paul reiterates it, Peter reiterates it, to watch out, be sober, be vigilant, to watch out for wolves among you. So how do you spot a wolf? Great question. Did you guys like that lead-in? It's perfect. Verses 16 through 20, I'm going to just reiterate those. He says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? And the obvious question Jesus is saying is no. Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, a, good tree, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Did I say that wrong? You got the idea. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by, your fr- by their fruit, you will recognize them. So he says that twice. By their fruit, you will recognize them. How do you spot a wolf? Is you will know them by the fruit that their lives produce. In other words, it's just a matter of time for the fruit to reveal what's really there. We can fake the outward But you can only fake the inward for so long. And Jesus is saying you judge and discern by the fruit that is in a life, or you test the Spirit by the fruit that is produced in a life. That's how you can spot a wolf. So you ask the question, what kind of fruit is being produced? Look back at the things that Jesus dealt with in the other parts of the sermon. What did he lead off with in Matthew chapter 5? It is the Beatitudes. Because a wolf is not going to be poor in spirit. Remember that the, the, one of the very first sermons that I preached, it says, he said, blessed or happy, eternally happy are the poor in spirit. They realize, the poor in spirit realize their need of Jesus Christ. Well, a wolf will not be poor in spirit, but arrogant and self-sufficient. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, that, that when people are mourning their sin and they say, you know, God have mercy on me. A wolf is not going to mourn their sin, but they will blame others and they act like they don't, may, may not even have sin issues in their lives. Jesus said, you know, blessed are the meek or the humble. A wolf isn't humble and meek. They can maybe even try to appear, but deep down inside they're not. But they are proud and full of themselves. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A wolf is not pure in heart. There's usually darkness. There's sin issues on the underneath of themselves. And here's the thing. Can't we all tend to be wolves sometimes? That's why we desperately need to run to Jesus Christ every day. We desperately, desperately need Him in our lives, and we need to humble ourselves before Him. We were created to need Him. And so if Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit, what fruit reveals authentic Christianity? Great question. Segue into the next part. So Jesus said you'd recognize them by their fruit, How do you spot a wolf? You would look at the opposite of what godly fruit produces, and Paul gives us the fruit. We've heard these before, but this is the fruits of the Spirit. Paul gives us the list. 
So you're looking for fruit in a person, and, and, you, and, and, and a wolf, you're going to see the opposite, or you're going to at least see the opposite bleed out at some point. But Paul says this, that the fruits of the Spirit are love. Do I see love? Do I see authentic love? Do I see people going toward love? And again, not, not that people have it, they're perfect and they all got it figured out, but they are in a journey toward Christ and understand their deep need of him. It's not saying you've perfected love. We all have not perfected love. We serve the one who is perfect love. And we realize that we need him. But he says that love, joy, do I see joy? Do I see the fruit of joy manifest in this person's life? Are they angry all the time? Are they just dissension? And it just seems like it's just this turmoil that's in their heart, and there's not a lot of joy there. Peace. And you've seen people, and they just walk in peace, and they just have that, that fruit of the spirit of peace walking in their heart. They can go through trials, and it's not easy, and maybe they have stressful moments, but then they come on the other side in peace, trusting Christ. Patience. Ooh, that's a tough one. Little wolf kind of rears up in me when I hear patience. Kindness, goodness. And again, we've heard these, but don't lose the power of them. Faithfulness. Are you faithful? Are we only faithful when we agree, or are we just are we faithful to follow him? Gentleness and self-control. Paul tells the Colossians church in Colossians 3, this is so powerful because you can see this similar theme that he spoke to the Galatian church, to the Colossian church in, in 3. I mean, he says, clothe yourselves. In other words, put this on like your clothes. Clothe yourselves with compassion. These are not other fruits and walking with Christ. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And he said, that's, that's the fruit that you're looking for or people that are working toward that. Again, that not that they have it all worked out and perfected it, but they are working toward that end with Christ. And then he tells the, Paul tells the Philippians church in Philippians 2, and we've heard this a lot this past year, but taking on the same attitude as Christ and walking in great humility. And ultimately, all of this stuff is true Christ-likeness. All of these are a description of him. If you want more of him, you have to be with him. You are who you, you become who you hang around. And if we are surrendered to him, his life will begin to manifest through us, and Christ-likeness is the goal for every believer. I want to become tomorrow more like Christ than I was today. The next day, I want to be more like Christ than I was the day before that. And I'm going to realize my great dependency on him because the gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, all of this stuff is to point us to our great need of Jesus Christ in our lives, his lordship, his likeness in me. And not just an outward thing, but inward transformation. And so the wolves, they're opposite of this. They will try to look the part, but un underneath they are up to no good. They have a different motive. They're not really, they can maybe put a smile on them, but they're not that happy with the things that are going on. They're not faithful. They're not gentle. They're not kind. They're not Christ-like. 
And so Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. So you look for his working out in their lives. Are they becoming more Christ-like? Are they more surrendered to Christ? And again, not just outward, but inward life. But that's how you can tell. And I said this before, but true sheep don't have it all together or are perfect, but genuinely realize their need for him. You will know them by their fruit. And so then how is fruit born? How's the fruit born? We want the fruit. How do you get it? It is through intimacy with Christ Jesus. Intimacy. John 15 is, the, is, is in the Gospels. John 15 is the intimacy passage that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. This, these are thoughts that he was having right before his crucifixion. He gets them in the upper room. In John 13, he washes their feet and, re- and, 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 and just pours out his love on them, becoming a servant to them. John 14, he gives them hope for the future. You know, that's when he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled because, you know, he's been talking a lot about leaving and going and, and dying. And they're like, you know, I don't even understand what you're saying. They didn't want him to leave. They didn't want him to die. John 14, you have this whole thought of don't let your hearts be troubled. I, I'm going to go away, but I will receive you to myself. Then John 15, is we have this place where he is driving home this idea of intimacy. That's when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will produce fruit. Remain in me. That's the, that, that word is intimacy. Remain in my love is what he says in one place. And you will produce fruit that remains. It's lasting fruit. It's, it's fruit that you can't fake. It only comes through intimacy. Fruit only happens through the place of intimacy. We understand that in marriage. That when we say the fruit of that marriage is they produce children, through intimacy, reproduction happens. Not that you guys need a health lesson. It's like, really? You're kidding me, right? But there's a spiritual side to this. And that's why the, 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 that's why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the bride of Christ. It's not a gender thing. It's a positional thing is that when we walk as the bride of Christ and we walk in intimacy and relationship and fellowship with him, the natural outflow of that is that we will produce fruit. We'll become more like him. And so intimacy is the key. Connected to him and producing lasting, authentic fruit. Then verses 21 through 23, Jesus takes this a step further. And this is... This is, a, this is a fear of God passage, and we need to grab hold of this. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Not everyone that simply calls him Lord will enter the kingdom. That's what he's saying. But what does he said? But those who are doing the will of the Father. And so we say, what is the will of the Father? It's an intimate relationship. It's fruit that is born through a complete and total surrendered life to Jesus Christ in relationship. That's the will of the Father for every person. It's humbling ourselves and realizing our need for him every day. It's saying his sacrifice was, is, the, is what I need. 
that I can't save myself. And so Jesus has been revealing the will of the Father throughout this whole sermon. And it's an inwardly transformed life that is humbled and surrendered to him. And here's the thing in verses 22 and 23. And I, I, this struck me about probably about four or five months ago. I was reading through this. There are going to be people on judgment day, according to Jesus. This is his words, not mine. There are going to be people on the day of judgment that are going to debate with him. He says this. You would think that when we get there, that when people are there and they see him in all of his glory, all of his splendor, the resurrected, glorious son of man, son of God, king of kings, lord of lords, that the only right presentation of ourselves before him would be on our face in complete worship and say, God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. I worship you. And give you my heart. And Jesus says that on that day, there are going to be some that are debating with him. Where do you have to be at in your heart to begin to debate with him? And they're going to debate with him about their accomplishments and their resume of the things that they did in his name. This just reveals such arrogance. You would think it would begin to be worship and gratitude. But this is when, on that day, when the real motives of people's hearts will be revealed. That's why I say, and I adopt that prayer that, that Rick Joyner had a few years ago. God, veer me back on the path quickly when I get off here. Discipline me quickly. Humble me quickly. I want to know you. But this is the form of ultimate pride. They're standing before him on that day, and they're saying, look at me and what I did. And I did it in your name, and therefore I deserve heaven by the things that I accomplished. I deserve heaven because I, I walked in some power. It's an interesting note that Jesus says that these people that, that will come with a list of supernatural powerful power gifts as, as their proof. The three things that he deals with, he said, many will say to me on that day, and he deals with three things. There's a purpose why he's saying this. He said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, drive out demons, and perform miracles in your name? And they have a list of power gifts. Now, we can step off to the side and, and do a little sidebar here to say, those are powerful gifts that we are given by the Holy Spirit that we can do as followers of Jesus. I mean, we're, we're told by Paul to desire spiritual gifts, to desire to prophesy, that we have authority over demonic spirits. And that another one of the power gifts is that we can you know, pray for it and God can do miracles, signs and wonders. And so those in themselves aren't bad. The, the, the thought here is your identity is in those things. These giftings, these, this calling that you have, that's why, I, you know, as a, as a pastor, I'm not going to stand before Jesus and say, I was a pastor, therefore let me in. I'm not going to make it on the merits of, me, of my gifting or my calling. 
I'm going to make it by the merits of the cross and only the cross. Humbling myself before Jesus. And Jesus says, and that's where we have to have this fear of the Lord, is saying, you're not going to be validated by your gifts. You're not going to be validated by what you did. But you're going to be validated by who you are in Christ. And then Jesus says this to them. And he said, they, they said, I will prophesy, do, cast out demons, do miracles. And Jesus will say to them, them, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Does that sound like harsh words from Jesus? Somewhat, yes. But he again is reaching beyond and he's reaching into the heart and say, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's interesting, he says, I, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. The word know, you know what that means. Some of you guys do. It means intimacy. It is the Greek, or taken from the, as you look at the, the, the New Testament Greek, it's the same word driven by, at the very beginning, it says, Adam knew Eve, and they conceived and bore a son. Intimacy. Again, we're not talking about the physical side of this or, or that being weird. What Jesus says is, I never knew you. I never, we never had intimacy. We never had relationship. And now they're debating with him based on supernatural gifts that they walked in. Well, Paul says the gifts of God are without repentance. We get the gifts. You can use the gifts for wrong reasons. And so we get the gifts. But fruit is born through intimacy and relationship with him. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. They did all these things, yet they didn't know him. And it really comes back to that, is the transformed life is a life that is intimately connected in humility before Christ. And then his verses 24 through 27 is his conclusion and our conclusion today. It's a well-known passage the wise and foolish builders, we all know the song as kids. You're thinking of it now, right? Wise man built his house upon the rock. He said, therefore, everyone who puts these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew, and the beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Here comes the rain, the storms, the wind, and then it fell with a great crash. And so Jesus is concluding the sermon with this thought. And so he's saying this, and he's kind of wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Where is your life built? On what foundation is your life built? And as he's probably looking at his disciples, he's looking at these followers, and he's saying, you need to know what your life is built on. Because in this picture that he's giving, once again, he's dealing with outward and inward. Because outward, you have two houses, right? And you, they can look the same. And from an observational standpoint, you can have two houses that look identically the same. But it's all about the foundation. 
Our builders in the house know all about that. You have to have a strong foundation. And then Jesus says to both, he says, no matter where your house is built, you're going to endure storms. Being a believer does not exempt you from going through storms and trials. And most of you guys would say yes and amen. We know all about that. He says, the storms are coming to both, but the difference is the foundation. Those that have their lives built on the rock, Jesus is the rock. That's one of his titles. Those who have their lives built on him, surrendered to him completely, will endure the storms of life, and they will endure to the end. But those who have their house built on the foundation of sand, and what is sand? Sand can be gifts. Jesus just got through saying that. It can be your own self-sufficiency. It can be pride. It can be, I, I, you know, I'm going to try something other than Jesus. He said, you need to know that that house is going to crash. And so what was the key that Jesus said? And he said this. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and, listen, puts them into practice. All of that Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know what you just heard me say through this last little bit? I don't want you to just hear it and then forget it. You need to go and put these into practice. Sounds familiar to what James said. James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because we hear the words, and now we, we, will ha- we have an accountability to the words that we've heard. We will be held accountable for what we've heard from Jesus and through his gospel. Those who hear my words and put them into practice is the wise man that builds his house on the rock. Because when we hear and we put it into practice, you know what that should drive us to? Is, dear Jesus, I need you desperately. And he said, now you are on the right foundation. Because it's interesting, the very first words out of his mouth solidify what he ends with about the rock, you know, building your house on the rock. Because he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit realize their deep need of Jesus Christ. Humbling ourselves before him. Walking with him in daily surrender and relationship. Allowing his life and character and his fruit to be at work in my life. And so today I say, I ask this question to all of us. What is your house built on? You've heard these words. I've read these words. You're accountable, I'm accountable. And so I think that what Jesus would say is, come back to him again today. Come back to him in a fresh way. Be amazed at his teaching. Because this is at the end. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Are you amazed at Jesus? When you read the word, are you just, do you stand in amazement? Or is it just like, yeah, I've read that a hundred times, a thousand times. And I love the response of the crowd that just said they were amazed because he, he had authority unlike the teachers of religious law. And so my challenge to you and myself is that we walk in a new way of being amazed at him. Amazed at his life, amazed at his teaching, amazed that he is the one who is the author of life and where we find life. Amazed that he is the rock that we can build our lives on. Amazed that he has made a place for us. Amazed that we have promise of eternity through the cross of Christ. 
Let us be amazed at Jesus. Tremble at his word. Humble ourselves before him every day. And let's not go away and forget. Like James says, walking away and forgetting what we look like. Let's stand together. Jesus, we love you. We honor you today. We honor your word. God, convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Convict us every day. Remind us of how desperately we need Jesus. God, forgive us when we get self-sufficient and proud. Forgive us, Lord, that the times where maybe we're used in powerful ways and we maybe give a word of prophecy and we see something powerful happen. And and Lord, um, and and not that we shouldn't thank you for that and, and Lord, give testimony to that. But Lord, let it not puff us up. Help it not to drive us to the place where, because we're powerful, we don't really need you. God, remind us of how desperately needy we are, that we are bankrupt without you. And Lord, help us to be amazed at this crowd. They they stood in amazement. Help us to be amazed at you every day, amazed at your teaching, amazed at your life, amazed at your intimacy. Lord, help us to build our lives on you every day. Lord, I pray a blessing over these precious people. Pray, Lord God, that you would use us the way you want us to, you want to use us, Lord, and that we would go forth and we would produce fruit in our lives, the fruit of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in operation in us so that the world will know, so the world will see you in us in a very real, authentic way. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.